be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Hanukkah, Tyler. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Westview. We're delighted to see you here this morning and those of you that are joining us by live stream. We uh, are essentially doing part two of our um, two-part sermon last week. We be began um, in, in James. We're working through the book of James. And we were talking about uh, pain and suffering last uh, week. And uh, we're continuing finishing this morning. And one of the questions that came from our uh, congregation, that came from you last week, was why is it that um, people tend to withdraw when they're experiencing some suffering or some difficulty or pain in their lives, why is the human tendency to withdraw? Withdraw from the church, withdraw from community, withdraw from family members, withdraw from God? It's true. It's a great question, great observation. And when people that are in difficulty, having difficulty, and when they approach us, oftentimes... We uh, aren't quite sure what to do or what to say. These two conditions, these two descriptions are common today. They are common also uh, in the first century. They are human conditions. And one of the strategies of the uh, enemy of our souls is to get us isolated and to get us quiet. And this Sunday morning, as we are here, we're concluding our sermon series in James that we've been going through over the course of this summer, Body and Soul. It's been quite a remarkable uh, series to listen to James through these uh, many weeks. And the question that he puts before us this morning, that he put to uh, the church, specifically in first century AD, is how are we called to respond? And we're going to unpack that this morning. How are we called to respond? And if you are uh, familiar with how we roll here, one of the things we do is something called Q&R. It's a ch chance and opportunity later on in a, a few minutes from now for you to interact with what you've heard here. You can ask a question and we will interact with you. We've had a lot of great questions over the previous uh, Sundays. So you can text or email to that address, ask at Westview Church. Um, you can do that if you're watching on live stream or here this morning with your phone or tablet or whatever it is, or you can stand up uh, later on during the Q&R time and we'll bring a microphone to you. Uh, and we just are really appreciative of the questions because they're really rock solid questions that we've been getting. So how are we to respond? Please go uh, with me to the book of James uh, in the New Testament. It's close to the end of the New Testament, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we're midway through this chapter now, starting at verse 13. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. And the first thing that we want to note there is that uh, in the congregation that Jim, uh, James is talking to, there is a mix of experience, a mix of life experience. There are people that are suffering. And there are also people that are uh, joyous. And he says, for those that are suffering, pray. Prasuchomai. This is where we get our English word prostrate. That 
prosukomai, pray if you are uh, suffering, okay? And then he says, if any of you are, are cheerful, sing praises. In any case, whatever the circumstance of life that you are in, James is saying, bring that circumstance to the Lord. I, I often think that we miss opportunities in both regards. We miss opportunities to pray, and we miss opportunities especially to praise. We have something called a prayer chain, and we put things on the prayer chain when there's a prayer requests, and my list, it grows and grows and grows. But what I don't hear is what happens. And I wonder if it's because we pray, but when something good happens, we kind of move on. Instead of returning and saying, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. But that's for another day. We continue. I want to just reread here 13 to 15. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. So he is speaking to the church, to the congregation. And the reality of suffering and sickness is evident among the church. So lest we think otherwise, the church that James is speaking to and the church today, suffering and sickness is an existential reality. And it's one to be taken seriously. Church, ecclesia, the assembly. And what he is addressing is how are the assembly what are they supposed to be up to? How are they to respond? And if you'll notice that this aspect of sickness and suffering, that is the focus. So he goes from those that are suffering and sick and he, those that are cheerful, but now the focus becomes those who are sick and suffering. And what we notice in hearing James is that it's a very serious matter. It's of deep concern. It is not something that is just merely dismissed. It is not even something that should just be um, um, dismissed out of hand or ignored. It would seem that sickness and suffering unattended to is actually a threat to the assembly. And he uses language that is extraordinarily uh, significant. He uses the word save, sozo. And maybe in your translation, it might say restored or healed or made well. There is this enmeshment between saved and healing in this word sozo. And then he says this word uh, raised up will be raised up. It's a figurative expression. You know, we have this expression in English. Um, someone is, you know, getting back up on their feet. We will restore and raise them up. And then he even goes further to say that there will be forgiveness. That there are sins and there's brokenness. But God, through this process, will offer forgiveness and cleansing and purification. Earlier in James 4, he says, cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. So the stakes are very high. It's significant. So we say, well, how are we to respond? And, and the sort of the initial reaction is, well, 
pray. Hmm. What comes to mind when you think or hear the word pray? What have you been taught about praying? Anybody, just for a moment, when you hear pray, what are things that come to mind when you hear pray? Honestly, anybody? Seek guidance? Talk to God? Yeah, I think when we hear pray, we, we think talk. Uh, we, we think of uh, appealing to the Lord. We, it, it's often uh, private. Pray privately. Um, we can think uh, individualistic. It's something that uh, I have, you know, that's up to me and I have to muster it up and it's something I have to do. Maybe it's somewhat sort of people-centric. It's kind of humanistic in the sense that I have to do this and, and somehow I'm making something happen. But again, if we're being sort of forthcoming and transparent, there's also aspects of doubt. disbelief because people pray and it seems like maybe nothing's happening and as we talked about last Sunday there can be this sense that God is absent or that he doesn't care and so there can be a bit of skepticism behind prayer it's relegated it's People say, well, I'm not sure what else to do, so I guess I'll pray. There's also the problem of this word healing that, that James uses in this section when we think of healing. And part of the problem when we hear this word today is that theology and doctrine has really been uh, misshaped and malshaped. Especially in North America, we have downplayed in the Western world, we have downplayed the spiritual gift of healing. And when there is, oftentimes people over, over uh, history, when they think about healing, they turn to relics or objects. Or maybe they place their faith in faith instead of God. And then we have preachers who have taken this concept and now they've made it into this doctrine of health and wealth that every Christian should always be physically healthy and wealthy. And then there's the problem of our tradition and our experience because oftentimes in the Western world, even if we pray, we don't tend to be aware of or experience what we would call healing, our conception of what healing is, and we tend not to experience that. In this sort of historical movement from what's called rationalism or scholasticism, we've kind of taken the concept of healing and miraculous work of God out of the equation because now we're rational and we've got an education. Oh, and then James mentions elders. And there's a bit of a problem, too, with the church and hierarchy and leadership. And what do we hear when we hear that? Well, that there's only certain special people. The problem is, in a lot of church settings, those special people have uh, 
abused their places of responsibility. Or maybe they've taken the power to themselves. And so there's distrust. When really, when James is talking about elders, he's talking about people from within the community that were given a responsibility especially. But there are people from the community, from within the assembly. So I think we need to fine-tune the question because the the first church A.D. that James is speaking to is coming to grips with the idea of praying and we are coming at it more from a sort of a cynical, skeptical perspective of praying because we've done some of it. But we can refine the question to say, how are we called to pray? We, how are we called to pray when there is suffering and sickness and pain among us. That is what James is speaking to then and now. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is describing the why of prayer. It is powerful and effective, powerful. There is favor and value and significance and force to prayer. And then there, along with powerful, he says effective. The Greek word is energeo. Energeo. It's where we get our English word energy from. He is saying that there is something forceful and of a significant value that there is an energy when we pray. And then he gives these two examples. He speaks about Elijah. In these two examples that he gives, he reveals the extent of God's domain, which is endless. The universe is his temple. And he speaks about Elijah. And the first hearers would know about Elijah. It was part of their uh, understanding and their, their ancestry. And he talks about Elijah. Oh, by the way, his name means my God is Yahweh. That's his name. And it's miraculous and it's astonishing. And for those of us stuck in a scholastic academic uh, world, it bends our minds and we bump up against the possibility that God could withhold rain for three and a half years. Really? And then he gives us another example when he talks about human life and he says, 
There is power, the extent of God's domain in the created order, but also when it comes to human beings, human being will be sozo, will be saved, will be healed. It's the same word. Suche is the Greek word for the person's life, their inner being, their whole well-being, and they will be saved. This soul, suche, soul, will be saved from death. Thanatos. If you watched Avengers 4, you heard of this character, Thanatos. It actually comes from this Greek word, Thanatos, death. Well, this person will be saved, sozo. Their suche, their soul, will be saved from plague, from very death. The extent and domain that God has. It's powerful. The full scope of human experience is in view. The full scope of human experience, land, creation, but also who we are. I've put this diagram up a few times because it's so important for us when we're talking about prayer and when we're talking about healing to understand that there is the psychological, the mind, the emotional state, the internal being. There's also the biological, the physical, but there's also a relational aspect to us being a human being. And then all of that is within a spiritual context. All of that domain, all of that universe that makes us human is in view when James is talking about God healing, providing forgiveness, forgiving, and raising up. And I believe that when he says raising up, he has two uh, horizons in view, raising up in the sense of helping us to find a way in the midst of suffering and sickness, finding a way for us to get strong stable and uh, sturdy on our feet, but also in the last day when Jesus Christ returns visibly, bodily, and he will raise us up on that day as well. But it is twofold. So then the question, how are we called and invited to respond when there is suffering and pain and sickness in our midst? How are we called? Yes, confession. Yes, anointing with oil. Yes, in the name of the Lord Jesus. But do you notice what James' emphasis is? In a word, how we are called to respond is together. We are called to come together and pray together. Not on our own. Prayer is personal. It's personal in the sense that it is particular. You come to the throne of grace with your story and your circumstance. I come with mine. In that sense, it's particular. It's also personal because it's in person. But it is plural and participatory. It is plural and participatory. We are meant to pray together. And participate. When we are participating, in other words, we participate with the work and the actions of the Lord. And we participate in prayer when we come together and we pray for each other, one another. It is like that. So in here, James mentions elders, but then he also says one another. 
And is it up to us? Is it up to our works or our efficacy or the strength and the magnitude and the, uh, of our faith? No, it is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has, through Scripture and through the coming of the Son of God in Jesus, demonstrated that He has bound Himself and His Word to His promises. He has bound Himself to His promises. No wonder James says that it is powerful and effective. I want to illustrate this this morning, this idea of collaboration and power and energy. I was really hoping that I would have um, a, a big like fire hose or something like that that I could use as a demonstration. Uh, but unfortunately... Um, there isn't a big source of water here, so I'm improvising slightly. And I need a, a volunteer, um, somebody, uh, I need someone a little bit bigger, fortunately, Noah. Thank you, dude. But why don't I, um, who can I get to volunteer? Elijah, you want to help me? Okay, come on up, Elijah. So if you take um, this end, and I'll take this end, and we're just going to go like this, and we're going to put it up on the table. The power and energy that comes with prayer is not that we have the power or that we alone have all of that energy. James is saying that that is from the Lord. And so uh, this is a, a big container of water. You could imagine it being a, a limitless supply. All of that energy and that power that we use, uh, hydroelectricity, um, uh, hydraulic jaws and so on, is all generated by water. There's power in there. It exists there. But right now, all that power and that energy, is we are not make, taking advantage of it. We are not making ourselves available to the power and the energy. Now, I could, as an individual acknowledging that I need that, could mess around and whatever. But what James is saying is get with somebody and begin to tap into that. So we could look around here, Elijah and I, and we could say, well, how are we going to, you know, and uh, where, where, where would I find a way to access this? Oh, I better make sure we have some of this here. <laughs> so, Elijah, where would I get access to this water? Okay, from the spout of the, okay, that makes sense, and that's good. So in my bewilderment, I may need some direction and some help, and so he's showing me that it's through the spout of all that. So we could do that, and so we together say, all right, thanks, Elijah, and so I'm going to do that, and that's kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I, that, that's maybe refreshing, but there's hardly a lot of power and energy there. And you could dabble around there. What would be another thing that we could do, Elijah? Take the top off. Take the top off. Ooh, I like your thinking. <laughs> Incidentally, Elijah and I have not talked about this beforehand. But what James is inviting us as a congregation is get with somebody. Talk about what's going on. And access the power and energy that is actually available to us because God has bound himself 
to the promises. We do not even know the the extent of his power, but we have seen it at work when he raised Jesus from the dead. And so what he's saying, take that handle there, is get with a friend and access the power. Oh, we're going to get wet. That's much different. I have one more, Elijah. Oh, dear. <laughs> this one's going to the, this one we're going to go to the congregation. No. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's actually an ode to Sarah Whip. Um, I, I scared her uh, last year when she was sitting up front. Um, And so I thought I would, you know, make it memorable. Thanks, Elijah. We are meant, we are invited, we are called as the assembly of Jesus' followers to be a safe and prayerful people. that are willing to pray for one another. And friends, that is counter-cultural. That we actually honor privacy and confidentiality. That when we get together and pray for each other, we uphold privacy and confidentiality. We value humility and vulnerability. It's counter-cultural. And when we pray for each other, We don't judge. No one is meant to be alone. And the sick and the suffering are not meant to pray alone. We will be together. We are meant to come together and pray together. That is the call, to be together and pray together. All people, it is not only the pastors or the elders, but all people praying for one another. How counter-cultural and beautiful that is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he has since died, he was a theologian, a pastor, He was imprisoned in Germany. He was executed a couple of days before the war ended. But he wrote, he was very prolific. In this little book called Life Together, he said these words, Other Christians have been given to me so that I may be assured even here and now of the reality of God. As the acknowledgement of my sins to another believer frees me from the grip of self-deception, so too the promise of forgiveness becomes fully certain to me only when it is spoken by another believer as God commands in God's name. I want to pause here before I finish. I want to pause here for some questions, 
a short Q&R time. And then I will conclude, and maybe you have some questions about prayer or healing. Just going to get a Kleenex here. Tyler, have you got some questions for us? I do. No one's ever going to sit in the front rows of this church ever again. I know. It's true. It's, uh, I, I, feel ter- even, I feel terrible. They're not even really there. They just pretend. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> a couple of questions that have come in so far. Okay. Uh, as a Christian, how do I reconcile psychology, the, the diagram you presented, with my spiritual beliefs? Okay. As a Christian, how do I reconcile psychology, uh, as in that diagram, with my spiritual beliefs? Right. Okay. So in the diagram, that um, is meant to depict the various aspects of what it means to be human. So I abbreviated it with psycho, but that means that you have thoughts, you have emotions, feelings, you have an internal life, and you can speak to yourself sort of in a manner of speaking. The Holy Spirit also is, leads us and guides us and convicts us of the truth. And he does that in our emotional, inner, intellectual life. And so it is an aspect of what it means to be human. So I wouldn't necessarily say psychology, but there is psychology as a practice, as a discipline that is, looks at the inner life. And incidentally, when James uses the word soul in this section, at the end, 19 and 20, the word suche, is where we get psyche from, it means the inner life of the person. So as differentiated from physical life, the physical body. Yeah, that's very good. This one kind of jumps into verse 16 when James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why is this seldom done by Christians? Is it a fear of being seen as less than or a fear of our sins being exposed? And how do we shift that attitude? Yeah. Oh, that is so good, right? Confession. Why is it seldom done? And... uh, Give me more. Than yeah, for, is it because of a fear of being seen as, as less than or being exposed? And, and then how do we see a shift away from that kind of seldom doneness? Yes. So it's important to notice, first of all, the order that, that James talks about. He says, confess your sin. And then he says, the prayer of the righteous. So by making ourselves right with God, we have this access to this power and this energy, this necessity. There seems to be this connection between confession and the response from God. But it's seldom done. And you're right. It is seldom done. If I, if I meet with somebody... And I tell them honestly what's going on and... and confess and disclose some of my, the, my internal thoughts or some of the things I've thought or some of the things I've said. It is such an incredible form of intimacy because I am trusting you with that. And our inclination so often has been to judge the other person or our concept of what leadership means or what it means to be human means to be strong and perfect and without any distress or without any sin. Well, that's just false. It's a lie. But to just come with to another person and say, I confess, this is what is going on. 
and to trust that that other person will hold that and, and treat that with respect and not judge. But you notice what James is saying is confess to one another and pray for one another. So when you and I get together, it's important that there's confession is flowing both ways. Be leery of a person who is willing to listen to a confession but does not confess themselves. Confession, it's reciprocal. He's describing a very reciprocal relationship. And how do we get back to this risk? I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to confess. That's good. Yeah. So we got here, unless there's questions as well out there this morning. Well, those are good. Thank you, Tyler. It's a great place for me to segue. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. Confess and surrender. This doesn't mean, surrender doesn't mean, as, as one uh, scholar put it, giving up. It means giving over. We're not in prayer. We are directing ourselves to the Lord not directing the Lord. We are conforming to Him and His will, not informing Him of what He needs to do. And friends, I want to conclude as we finish this amazing book. We could just do the whole thing over again. And James, body and soul. But I want to encourage you to reach out. And whether you are someone who has, is suffering, sickness, pain, reach out. Or whether you reach out means be available. Be that kind of a safe and prayerful, trusted person. Reach out means that you're willing to go to somebody and disclose and share with them what's going on. And reaching out means you are available for somebody to pray together with them to help access the power. And listen, if you take the step of sharing with somebody else, and that somebody else is confessing also to you and sharing with you, the first is that kind of talk or conversation. That conversation is disclosing the circumstance and making some confession about what's going on. Listen very carefully to this step and this talking step. This talking step is, is, requires empathy. It does not require advice. You're not giving advice. You're not quoting a verse. You're not doing any of those sorts of things or giving a tip or a rah-rah speech. You're coming together. You're sharing what's going on. You're confessing to each other. And then the next step is you go to the Lord in prayer and you speak and confess and disclose to the Lord in prayer. And then you listen. We get quiet. Because we don't know what to say and we don't know what's from the Lord until we share it with the Lord and we listen to see what he's going to say. And he will speak. 
and that lid comes off and the water and the power begins to change. And whether it's a relational healing or a psychological internal healing or it's a physical healing or it's a spiritual healing, but he has promised in that kind of an order for some healing and saving work to take place. And it's more than just fix my finger or fix my cut. There's way more going on. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and it's effective. 